Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we have Tori Sheffer as our guest. And he has been in the real estate industry for over six years as a broker and principal investor in over 100 transactions, totaling $70 million. He's responsible for all aspects of real estate acquisition and management, which includes underwriting, structuring, equity, raising capital, and asset management. So he's also an investor in Real Estate Lab, which is a real estate software company focused on analysis and data related to multifamily investing. So welcome to the show, Tori. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. So Tori, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started in real estate and what your current focus is? Yeah. So I got started as a real estate agent. I got my license in 2015. And I basically started that because it looked like fun. I was in college at the time and you know, trying to think of what I was going to do after college and did a couple you know, job interviews and whatever. And being an agent looked like fun. So I was like, all right, I'll go do that. And then once I got into that and selling houses, I had exposure kind of to the investor world and building something for a long term looked like something that I definitely wanted to do. So basically from 2017 forward, I started figuring out, okay, how can I get into investing and you know, being a an investor and operating from that side of the world rather than just chasing the next deal as an agent. Got it. So then what did you do to get into, you know, make that transition for yourself? So I learned everything I can. So basically in 2017, I started listening to books and listening to podcasts and driving, you know, 50,000 miles a year as a real estate agent. I had a ton of time in the car listening to all this stuff. So I, I would learn as much as I can. I would, you know, reach out to people and meet people who were doing what I wanted to do and figure out basically a path forward. And then, so I met a few people and then I met one guy and figured out exactly like what he was looking for in a deal. And I said, okay, I'll take that. And then I I built a mailer list and I moved all of my marketing away from trying to find houses to buy into finding apartments to buy that fit his criteria. Because I knew if I found a deal, I could bring it to him. He could close it. I could ride the coattails and learn the process along the way and then copy and paste and, you know, do that for myself. And that's exactly how it worked. And I just, you know, was obviously very lucky to have things work out exactly as I wanted them to, but it's been quite the ride. So then how did you end up getting into your first deal and what markets were you looking at? And can you share a little bit about the details? Yeah. So I was in Michigan. So that was the market I was primarily focused on because I knew the market from macro real estate sense, obviously selling houses, you get a feeling for it, but the commercial and multifamily world is completely different. So I was in Michigan. I sent a mailer, a mailer out. So I, I have a big mail machine that stuffs and seals letters. And I would use that to find houses to sell as an agent. And so I just 
transition my ladder into finding apartments to buy. So I targeted a bunch of apartments that I thought would would work well and sent the mailer out. And then I got a call on one and it was a 56 unit. And the broker said, hey, you know, the owner has 11 other buildings. Do you want to buy those as well? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And it turned out to be 232 units. It was 12 properties. And we ended up buying buying all of them. We did a double, we ended up doing a double closing, basically a wholesale on 184 units. And then we kept 48. And then those 48, we've now sold actually just three weeks ago, sold 28 of those units and you know did really well. And we're doing a 1031 now into a 52 unit. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah. And so for you, when you said you were sending out mailers, what were some of the things that you put on your mailers that attracted, you know, sellers to you and allowed them to give you a phone call? Yeah. So I started it out as saying, hi, my name is Tori Sheffer and, you know, I'm targeting buying apartments. I was targeting 1970s or newer. So I said, I'm targeting buying apartments and I like your property at this address and here's why. And then I would say, you know, we can close in 90 days or, you know, if you need a longer for a 1031, we can do that. But give me a call if you're interested in selling. And then basically said, thanks for reading. Call me if you're interested. And I would get, I probably got five calls on the first batch I sent, which is around 500. And then I bought, I bought a 24 unit off of there. And then I bought the 232 unit portfolio off of there. So it ends up being like $18 million worth of property purchase just from that first mailer. Got it. And so then, you know, for the 232 units that you first purchased, where is that? Was that on your own or did you have partners on there? No, yes. I was like the small minority partner, but I found, so I, I went back to that partner that I had originally talked with and then asked him what he was looking for. So I brought the deal to them and then they took it over and basically ran with it. And I rode the coattails and learned everything I could along the way. So I had a, you know, a small piece of it. And then while we were under contract, this was the middle of the beginning of COVID. Someone else came along and offered us a million four over what we had for 184 of the units. So at the time, we're like, you know, that sounds great. Let's do it. And I was obviously fired up to, you know, to obviously make a, a good chunk of money, but then also just to have have the confidence and know that I had found a good enough deal that someone else come along and wanted to pay us, you know, a lot more money than we had it for. So you were able to, oh, because then they didn't sell, they sold it to you, the 12 properties, they sold it to you at, as a portfolio? As a portfolio, yep. It was a family. So we bought it from the family of the original developer. They built it from the 50s to the 70s and they had never been sold. The kids had just been running it, but now the kids were in their 60s and they were ready to retire. They had very little debt on the entire portfolio. So this was just going to be, they sell it, be done and retire. And, but yeah, so we did it. And then, so we were planning to buy them all originally. And then another investor came to us while we were under contract and said, Hey, I want to buy these ones. We told them which ones we didn't want to sell. And which was 20 units in Royal Oak, Michigan. It's like a class A area where every millennial wants to live in Metro Detroit. So we kept those 20 units and then 28 units in Ferndale, Michigan, which is the next city over. It's kind of the same story, just a little cheaper. And those have turned out really well. And we just did, you know, the value add plan on those and it's gone wildly better than projections. So for the double close and, you know, wholesaling the first 188 units, what was, I guess, did you guys experience any 
I guess, challenges along the way as you were closing on that aspect of things versus, you know, the other remaining units that you were going to hold a little bit longer? Yeah. So the biggest challenge is we went under contract in February of 2020. So then, you know, the I was going to inspect every single unit. We went and inspected and walked through every single unit on a Friday. And on that Monday, the entire state got shut down for COVID. So it was obviously a very tough time as far as going and touring people's houses. There was a ton of units that we didn't get into. And then obviously the entire debt market was kind of putting on hold because at that time, everyone was thinking, okay, the real estate market is going to really tank. So lenders were requiring covert reserves and all this extra stuff. So it was looking like, you know, we originally planned to raise around $6 million. The total purchase for the portfolio was right around 15 or $16 million. We were planning to raise around $6 million. And then with all these new terms, the lenders were requiring quite a bit more money. So that was kind of one of the challenges. And then we basically had a ton of delays, primarily just due to COVID. But we wanted a contract in, it was late February or early March of 2020. And then we did staggered closings from August until October when we had finally closed all of them. Can you elaborate on the staggered closing? Yep. So each property we ended up doing individually. So like one property, the 20 units in Royal Oak, which we bought that kind of with a different partnership that formed. So we bought that in August and that close. And it's like, that one's done. Okay. Then the next one, the 184 that we were wholesaling, there was, I think, 30-ish that was going to one group and then 150 going to another group. So we closed with that group that was buying those 30. And then like two weeks later, we closed on the 150 of them. And then there was 28 more and we closed on those in October. It was October 4th of 2020 was when everything was wrapped up. So it was basically like the different groups and partnerships and LLCs that were formed to buy each little batch of that portfolio is why they staggered because we had the same legal team. We had the same team around all of it. So to try and close all of them with five different end buyers, it was, you know, just kind of a logistical nightmare. So as you were underwriting, you know, this portfolio, did you and your team have to underwrite each property individually, or did you look at holistically as one portfolio? We did both. So we looked at each property individually and then basically put a individual price on each property. And then we did it as an entire portfolio as well. Got it. And so when you look at it as an entire portfolio, what are some of the differences that you would take a look at or you would um, account for than when you're evaluating it like a, a single single property? Yeah. So a single property. So the, the largest was 56 units and then there's a 48. And then the others were, there was a couple tens and an eight. So two tens and an eight we, that were all a block from each other. We essentially ran those as one property. And then there's a 20 unit in Royal Oak, which is in the best location, but then the 56 is in a little bit different location, not as desirable, but still a very strong, desirable market. And then obviously as 232 units, to operate 232 units is a different world than operating 20 units. So 20 units in the best location, we know we can keep that full all the time. But the 56 is over here, you know, what are we going to do differently to manage that? And, you know, luckily we didn't have to get too deep into that because the other investor came along and was going to buy it all. So we didn't have to hammer it down from that aspect. But that was kind of the things that we were looking at as we were planning to buy them. Got it. And so did you need to do anything on the exit as you were doing the double close? Did you need to do anything in particular as when you close that first 188 units? No, really nothing in particular. I mean, the, the lawyers made a ton of money and, um, you know, pushing the paper around, but, you know, they did, 
had all the right things in place to to make sure that we were protected and doing well. We did well on it. So happy to pay a good attorney. My attorney's expensive. I still use the same attorney and he's expensive, but he's worth and weight worth his weight in gold. Hopefully he doesn't see this and start charging me more. So then after that, what did you guys do afterward to start to build up your portfolio and your your business? Yeah. So after that, so that was my first one. And then that kind of slingshotted me into a bunch of other deals. So that all closed in October. And then meanwhile, in the spring, there had been another seller from that same mailer that came to me, the 24 unit. That was 10 minutes north of where I grew up. And so I got that under contract and I ended up closing on that in November. And this was on my own. I brought in other investors, but it was on my own as far as a partnership deal. And then there was another investor that now had come to me and said, Hey, I know I see you doing all these deals. How did you do it? And I told him I sent a mailer. And so he asked what I put in the mailer. And then he sent a mailer and he didn't know what to do from that standpoint. So then we closed another deal that he had found from the mailer in February. And then now it snowballed into more deals. So now I have right now I have four deals under contract. One closes at the end of next week. And then two will close the first week of November. And then one that is the eight unit we just got under contract on Friday. So that will close probably mid-December. And what's the typical like business plan that you're planning to do on these these properties? Yeah. So typical business plan is a value add. We're buying these properties, for example, the one in Royal Oak, the average rent was around nine hundred dollars. And then we would go in and renovate the units. And on that one, we went with a pretty high end renovation. So we've spent about 25,000 per unit. And the new leases were now up to 1800. So we went from 900 to 18 and we spent 25 grand to get there. And then on most of these other ones in the other locations, we're spending closer to 10,000 per unit and we're going from 800 to 1250 or 800 to 11 or something of that nature, but basically just doing a, a pretty good level of value add and, and renovating the unit around 10,000 per unit. And we're usually able to see a $300 rent increase from that. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So when you're looking at the different properties to acquire, what is some of your criteria that you look for to make it a, that you see as being a good deal? So the biggest, I mean, the number one thing is location, you know, can the location support the rents and the square footage of the units? Because the biggest, you know, rent is obviously a, a factor of a square foot and what whatever you're comparable with. So a lot of areas in Michigan that we're looking at, the rent is, it should be at least a dollar per square foot. So anytime we can find something that's less than that or around that, we know we can hit at least that. Most areas are going to be like in a B area in Michigan is going to be around $1.25 to $1.50 per square foot. And then the best areas are going to go like from 2 to $4 per foot. 
most of our product is in the $1.25 to $2 per foot as far as a final rent value. So an 800 square foot apartment, you know, a two bedroom is going to rent for 1600 bucks, uh, you know, around there. Got it. And so for you, what are you focusing on next after? I mean, you have a lot of projects coming up here and, you know, but from here on, what are you going to be looking to do next? Yeah. So what I'm looking to do next is, is buy more, you know, I'm buying more and more locations. So I have another couple of guys that are doing the same thing that are starting out. They owned a 14 unit on their own in Arizona. And one of them is based out of South Carolina. So they found a deal in South Carolina that made a lot of sense. And it's 30 units. It's in Columbia, South Carolina. The average rents there right now are $1,000. They should be around 1400 So they brought me in to that deal basically to lead you know, and show, show them how to structure a deal, raising money and mm-hmm. things like that. They haven't raised money on deals. They just they bought the 14 unit on their own. Got it. So buying that. And then I have a, an 18 unit. Well, it's 16 unit condo conversion in Austin, Texas. So I bought that with three other partners and we bought it as a, you know, an apartment building. We're going to go in and renovate. We're actually renovating them all right now, but then we'll sell them individually. And then I have more basically in the 20 to 60 unit multifamily range is where a lot of the deal flow has coming been coming in. So, you know, in different areas where I already own properties, I'll go smaller, like in Royal Oak, we just like I said, have an eight unit under contract, but we're buying a 52 unit that's across the street. So, you know, from a management standpoint, and I hire third party management for everything. So it, it works out really well to do it that way. But primarily it's like 20 to 60 unit multifamily value add with the true value add, not just like a, you know, a broker value add, I like to say, but where we can actually, you know, add real value and, and get a, a better rental price and be able to get investors their money back, you know, within the target is to get their investors their money back at least half of it in three years. And then the plan would be to hold it long term unless someone is going to pay us a you know a four cap in a market that's a six cap. What has been the biggest challenge for you as you've been building up your portfolio and your real estate? So the biggest challenge for me starting out is just having the the knowledge base to get the ball rolling. Now that I I have that, the biggest challenge is both finding more deals and finding more money. Because so I'm doing small syndications on most of these. I'll have between four to 10 investors per deal. And a typical equity raise is going to be between 500,000 to a million dollars for, you know, a property that costs between two and four. And so really that's been the biggest, the biggest thing now is finding more deals and finding more money because it obviously, you know, from the same group of investors, they run on, nobody has, I mean, there, I guess there are some people with unlimited money, but I'm not too close with any, any that do have unlimited money. So, you know, my current investor base has, has money, but it's not unlimited. So it's, it's find more investors, but then also find more deals. How have you been building out your investor base or, and how do you typically, you know, continue the communication with your current investor base? Yeah. So current investors. So we do, I do quarterly distributions. So I, you know, a lot of them I know personally, so I'll end up just having natural conversations because I talk to them, you know, on a consistent basis. But then the ones that I don't, you know, I'll, I'll basically anytime something happens with the property that would probably be interesting to them, I'll shoot an email and, you know, let them know and say, hey, here's what's happening. Or if I have someone who's, you know, committed to a deal that's going to close in a couple of weeks or in a month or whatever, a lot of de- a lot of times we have a, a 90 day from contract to close period. So you know, we might have someone 
two weeks in that says, yeah, I want to put a hundred grand in. And then, you know, this is going to be two months later, you know, a lot changes in two months. So I basically keep them in line along the way as we're getting closer to closing so they can you know, be in the loop and know what's going on. So how has real estate investing impacted your life? I mean, it's been, it's been incredible. It's obviously relatively young. I'm in a position now where I can, you know, it's not complete financial freedom, but I don't have to stress about it anymore. And I don't have to, I have the ability to pursue things that I want to pursue rather than needing to pursue them. And that's been, that's been incredible. I mean, it's my end goal has always been like true freedom and be able to do what I want whenever I want. And that in today's world is very expensive, obviously. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? So I wish I knew when I first started was probably how to structure a deal. So what does it look like from the guy that finds a deal and who signs on the debt and what is a bank looking for and what's an investor looking for and how the structure, the actual structure of it works and the equity partnership and things like that. Going into it, I had some ideas from podcasts and books, but it really didn't sink in until I saw it in action and I was involved in it. But then after that, I've kind of just taken it and ran with it and it's gone really, really well to this point. In my world, obviously, I'm not not quite at a level that a lot of people are at, but I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate to be uh, the position that I am this early in the career. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think the biggest thing is being team players. You know, it's the classic that I don't know if this is how the saying goes, but Rome wasn't built in a day and it wasn't built by one person. So, you know, a lot of times you or people may set out and they'll want to do things on their own and have full control of it and all of this stuff. But really, if you have the ability and you're willing to work with a lot of different people and you enjoy working with different people, then you can do a lot of really good things together because some of my best deals have come from either people coming to me with the deal and saying, hey, it'd be fun to work on it with you. Or me bringing a deal to other people and saying, hey, you should come and do this deal. It'd be pretty fun to work on it with you. And in one way, it's almost like you're just giving the money when it's like you could do it on your own. But it's more fun to be involved with more people and it's just more energy around it. And I think I think that's the biggest thing is that the people that I've seen do really well are working with other people. You know, nobody's doing it alone and getting to whatever level, you know, they may want to get to. Yeah. And this is really great industry to be in also because you get to choose who you're working with and your partners and all the team members. So you're just building out, you know, your network surrounding the people that you like to be around. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, one of those things that as it progresses, you get to start being more, more and more picky on the deals that you work on and getting to what my goal is, is working on deals only that I want to. And, you know, now I'm not pounding the pavement, you know, I am pounding the pavement, but I'm not like forcing a deal. So I think to, to be in the position to not feel the need to force a deal is extremely powerful because that's not good for investors. That's not good for, it may work out for some people very short term, but long term, that's, I don't think a good way to go about it. Yep. And so Tori, for you, is there any resource or tools that you have used that have, you know, really helped you in your real estate investing education? Yeah. So just from an education standpoint has been podcasts. So when I first started learning about it, I, Rod Cleef has a podcast and I started on episode one and I just listened to as much as I could. It's like, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I figured I'd go start there and see what I learned and then 
from there, it kind of branches out. People suggest books and people suggest different podcasts and people suggest, you know, different sort of things. And then, so that was huge. And the other thing has been, so the real estate lab community that I'm invested in and, you know, I'm pretty involved in has been great too, because now there's a community behind it, but there's also the software program and the analyzer. So the entire financial model of an apartment, I had no exposure to that before I got into this world. And then once you have that exposure and learn how to use those tools, it's, you know, it's a world of difference because now I can look at a deal and in about 30 seconds, decide whether it's a good deal or a bad deal based off, you know, the rent roll and where it is, you know, it's very quick, but without having all the in-depth, you know, I have the full, you know, 13 tab financial model to build them all out, which is excellent. But without that quick, you know, switch to be able to see, is it a good deal or a bad deal? Should I pursue it? Or can I see how I can make this work? That's something in my mind, you can only learn through doing more deals and buying more apartments and seeing the whole process. Yeah. Through repetition and practice. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the best way, you know, for me anyway, that sticks with me is once I've done it, it's like, okay, you know, this worked here, that didn't work there and things like that. So it kind of progresses from there and snowballs. Awesome. Well, Tori, thank you so much for coming on the show today. So if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you're doing in this space, where's the best place that they can go? So I'm on Instagram. I'm not heavily active on Instagram, but just, you know, Tori Sheffer. And then on Twitter, which I think is another great place for real estate people, because the community on Twitter of real estate people is pretty small, but there's a ton of great info on there. So I'm on Twitter as well. And it's at Tori J. Sheffer as well. So that's that's been kind of one of the... I started getting recently active on Twitter and now people are messaging me and telling me that they have all this money to invest. And you know, it's people I've never met and they don't know me, but they might see something that I tweet or they might look me up or whatever and, and say that they want to work with me, which is, you know, it's incredibly humbling and it's fantastic. But yeah, those are two places, definitely Instagram or Twitter. And, you know, people can reach out to me and I've had a decent amount of people now reaching out to me too with questions and whatever. And I think it's incredibly cool to be able to be in a position to, to tell people how I got started and what I did. And, you know, I'm not saying it's the only way to do it or the best way to do it, but this is what worked for me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Especially when we learn from other people's and through storytelling and how they've been able to do it, you know, not everybody's story is going to be the same exact as another person's, but what we can take away from it is, you know, your experiences, your knowledge, and then also take what you've learned and apply it to, you know, our own personal experiences as well. So we can build our own path. Right. And everyone's going to apply things differently. So it's, that's what I did. I, I picked apart pieces of other people's stories and and it's worked, worked really well so it's it's incredible now to to be in a spot where where people are picking up from what I did and you know doing it themselves and I have a couple of people that have brought me a few deals consistently and it's now turning into the greatest you know financial years of their lives because of it it's insane to think about but it's happening and it's working really well well Tori I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing all of that Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly.
Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.